The scripture reading for this afternoon comes from the book of James, chapter 3, starting in verse 13 and reading to 18. James 3, 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Thank you very much, Tara. Well, it's great to see you uh, this afternoon. Please do keep that Bible passage open if you've got it uh, in, in physical form or on a phone or something. Please do have that open as we're going to look at that more closely together. And as we come to God's Word this afternoon, let me pray. Let me start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, you have called us here as your church, virtually but gathered around you and your word. Father, you've called me here this afternoon to preach to the Globe Church. So help us to set aside any distractions, distractive thoughts, to set those aside and come to your word to see Christ, to see the Lord Jesus speak to us today. Help us all here today to grow in your wisdom, particularly in times like today. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, I want you to think back to last week. Feels like an age away, but come back to the 1st of November, 2020. News has been leaked that England's going to head into another lockdown. Lockdown 2.0, if you want. Twitter's breaking. Hashtag, where is Boris? Is trending. Snapchat and WhatsApp on your phone's blowing up. And just imagine, I want you to imagine you're sitting in 10 Downing Street, listening in on that cabinet meeting. Prime Minister, it's almost 6.30, says the Prime Minister's aide. Voices are frantic, they're elevated. There's quarreling and bickering and finger gesturing about what to do. No, 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 listen to me. We need to think about the NHS. Rishi Sunak saying, no, but what about the economy? But hang on, what about the schools? Do we send the children there or not? It feels like utter chaos. Now, you might be thinking, I've probably watched too many BBC dramas, and you might be right there. I don't know if that's exactly how it would go down, but you can sort of picture that frantic scene of what's going on before that press conference. Now, if that feels a bit distant to you, come with me to a home. Back in September, there's no tier system. You can legally meet with five other people. So you're gathered around the dinner table having a pizza with five other mates. And you're trying so hard not to talk about it. So you're talking about the countless movies and the series that, or the books that you've been reading over the first lockdown. Then you talk about your course, your job, your family, the weather, how good the pepperoni is on this pizza. But you just end up having that conversation. And then it starts. This is what they should have done. I heard it's so good over there in Singapore and Korea. I'm from Korea, by the way. <laughs> Why can't we just get testing and track and trace to work properly in this country? You 
you might have been in those sorts of conversations. I've definitely been in quite a few of those over the past few months. And sometimes those conversations can get quite heated. If you want a window into how intense they can get, just look back through Twitter. And these conversations and questions are still going on today. Many today will be thinking of Remembrance Sunday. Remembering so many who gave their lives over two world wars for the cause of peace and freedom. But the streets were quieter this year. Celebrations were scaled back. Memories of the world wars will be mixed with memories of those who've given their lives in the battle with coronavirus. I feel for you guys as the Globe Church, sitting at home, tuning into YouTube after a few months of sort of meeting face, well, mask to face, as it were. It feels like we've gone backwards. When's this going to end? How do we get out of this? Now, in times like this, we have so many questions and very few answers. Nobody definitely knows for certain what's going to happen. And in that sort of situation, what do we get? We get a load of opinions. And lots of opinions will lead to lots of bickering and squabbling. Now, let me tell you, I don't know the answer. If you're hoping that I'd come here with some prophetic foresight into how this is all going to end, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's not me. But this is what I do know. All of us, the leaders of the nations, friends sitting around the dinner table, or, well, soon to be on Zoom, whether you're a Christian today or not, we could all do with more wisdom. Wisdom is a virtue that we need more of in the world today. And that's how James starts this passage. Who is wise and understanding among you? He asks. Now, how do we answer that question? Sure, we need more wisdom. I agree with you on that. But what does this wisdom actually look like? Do we tell by the color of their hair? I mean, if they have gray hair, they probably have more experience in life. The older, the wiser, the saying goes. I don't know how good this camera is. I'm getting a few gray hairs. Does that mean I'm getting wiser? I mean, I'll take that. We often have that sort of picture, don't we, of, of Gandalf the Grey, long grey beard, smoking a pipe, pointy hat, deep voice. Is that what wisdom looks like? Well, sometimes we think it's somebody who knows lots and lots of things, who's smart, who's academic, how many letters they have after their name. We think of Nobel Prize winners who are often grey-haired as well, or someone like Bill Gates. Maybe they have lots of wisdom. Now, there's an element of truth in both those things. To have wisdom, you need some experience and knowledge. But here's the key thing. Having lots of knowledge or experience doesn't mean you are wise. Think about how we elect leaders in this country. Set aside how you feel about the leadership at the moment, because let's give them some grace. It's pretty hard to lead a country through a pandemic. But when you go about electing leaders, you listen to all their experience, the stuff they know, the stuff they've been through. What we really want to know is, what are you going to do with your knowledge and your experience? Basically, we are, we are always asking that question of so-called leaders, how wise are you really? The clearest way to see if somebody is wise is by their life, how they live. Wisdom is not about how much knowledge or experience you have, but it's how you use that knowledge and experience. Time will tell whether a leader is truly wise or not. This is important. A good leader isn't determined by how good their education is or how good their policies are. A good leader is determined by their wisdom, which is shown in their life and their character. And that's what James is saying. 
Verse 13 again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, I'm just going to step back. Before we look, take a closer look at this passage, uh, let me just give you a bit of background about what's going on here in this book of James. Because I think you've, you guys have been in John so far in the last few weeks. And you might not be as familiar with the book of James. Now, James is Jesus' brother. He's one of the pillars of the early church. You'll see his name pop up a lot in, in the book of Acts, for example. And he's writing here to Christians scattered around the world. And there are certain themes, certain issues that he's been hearing about. And he's writing into those issues. For example, he, he knows that they're, they're going through lots of trials, and he's trying to encourage them to persevere through those trials and challenges. Quite fitting for us today. He, you might have heard that famous phrase, faith without deeds, faith without works is dead. That comes from James chapter 2. He's also got a big focus on, on rich and poor, socioeconomic divides. He says, look, be wary of favoritism as Christians. And then there's a lot to do about speech, speaking and the tongue. And that's where you find today's passage in that section. It comes after chapter 3 where he's talked about how dangerous words can be and how we need to control our tongue. And just after today's passage in chapter 4, he sees quarrels and bickering going around in the churches. That's the sort of context we're in. And the link here is that wisdom is one of the key antidotes to those things. It helps to stop fights and quarrels. It helps to guard our tongues. So that's the context. But let's take a closer look now at this specific passage. Come back to me to that dinner table that you're there with your friends. The pizza's getting cold, but the argument's getting heated. Students should have stayed at home. It's their fault. The 10 o'clock curfew was a great idea. No, no, no. And in that moment, just imagine, James walks in and asks this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And he looks at each and every one of us directly. Silence comes into the room. And you start asking that question, don't you? Am I wise? Is he talking to me? I often ask myself that question. Am I wise? Sometimes my wife asks me that question, am I wise? And it is wise for me not to say anything because often I know I'm not wise. I wish I were wiser. Don't we all? Am I wise? And here's James's answer. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. What James is saying is, true wisdom reveals itself in a life of humility. True wisdom reveals itself in a life of of humility. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? But what does that actually look like? Let's take a closer look, because James helps us out. He gives us two sources of wisdom, one that leads to a life of humility, another that doesn't. And through each of those, we get a really strong implication as Christians of what we're supposed to do. So we're going to look at each one in turn. The first, here we go. Do not seek earthly wisdom. Do not seek earthly wisdom. What James was seeing around him wasn't humility. People weren't taming their tongues very well. People, he was hearing about quarreling and fighting around. What he saw instead of humility was bitter envy and selfish ambition. Look at verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... Bitter envy. The, the word envy here can mean zeal. Now, zeal on its own can be a good thing. Do you remember how Jesus had zeal for his father's house when he walked into the temple and he saw the money changers there? And he overturned his, the tables with zeal. What are you doing? That's good zeal. 
But when it's bitter, it's when your face scrunches up, your heart wrenches against somebody because of something they have or because they're better than you at something else. Bitter envy sets yourself against other people. And then you've got selfish ambition. Again, ambition on its own is not a bad thing, but when it's selfish, it sets yourself over others. The common thread between those two is pride. It's all about putting yourself over and against others. Now, in our culture, I think we're pretty good at hiding this. We're very polite. We don't really show this explicitly. But maybe you do this, because I do. When you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook, for example, and you, and you see a friend who's doing something just a lot better than you could ever do it. They're cooking, baking, or they're, they're doing music, singing, or parenting better than I could. Or perhaps you see an old school friend you haven't seen for ages, and they've started a new job, and that's the sort of job that you'd always love to have done. You think you could do it better. How do you feel in those moments, even for an instant? Do you ever feel a bit of bitter envy there? Do you feel your selfish ambition growing? I definitely know I can feel that way. And where does this sort of feeling come from? Why do we feel that way? And James tells us in verse 15, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. In other words, this wisdom is not of God. It, it sources anything other than God. And he's saying, look, there are loads of places you can get this sort of wisdom from. Let me paint a picture of where, where this sort of earthly wisdom played out. Right at the start of creation, God created a world which was good, which was very good. He created a beautiful garden. It was thriving with life, clean, crisp rivers, the aroma of sweet fruit and flowers, animals basking in the sun in peace, birds singing melodies bouncing off the trees. And there he placed Adam and Eve, the first humans created in God's very own image. And godly wisdom was to give them everything to enjoy, except for one thing, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But earthly wisdom said, no, eat it. They saw this offer of wisdom that the serpent gave to them, to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3.6, it says the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. In their hearts, the first humans harbored selfish ambition and bitter envy against and over God. They put themselves before everything and everyone else, even their creator, their father. So this so-called wisdom of this world, what does it do? It harbors bitter envy and selfish ambition. The wisdom of this world is self-loving and sets you over and against other people. Here's the thing, James warns us that such wisdom, it produces bad fruit, devastating fruit. Look at verse 16. At the end of it, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Come back to Genesis with me, because from that moment where Adam and Eve choose worldly wisdom, the world descends into disorder and chaos. Relationships break down between them and God, between them and each other, and between them and creation. They went from life to death. But it's not only disorder. We start to see evil practice come in. Adam and Eve go on to have two sons. 
And what happens between these two sons? One of them would go on to kill the other. Why? Out of bitter envy, selfish ambition. What was the source? It was worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom that said to him, look, you deserve to receive glory, but you didn't. Your brother did instead of you. It sets him up with pride. It sets him up over and against his own brother who he goes on to kill. Now, you might be thinking, okay, hang on a sec. I don't go that far. I don't go around killing people. Let me take you somewhere else to show you how this can play out today. In my former life, I used to work in an office job. I worked with four other brilliant people. I, I was the weakest link. I, they were a lot smarter than I was. It was a real privilege to be with them. And one day, we were working on a massive project together. Long hours, lots of work went into it. And it came to the day of the pitch that we had to do for the client. And during that meeting, one of my colleagues just started to snick, stick his head out. Just started to push a little bit, if you know what I mean. Started to say, oh, it was more my idea. It was his imp implementation. The client loved it. My boss loved it. And he became a new golden boy. This colleague of mine, he lived for this mantra of, I am my own champion. You deserve whatever you can get. The wisdom of the world was fueling this sort of belief and thinking. To serve yourself, it's all about you. Set yourself over and against others. Be nice and polite as you do it. And we get messages like that set alongside the constant stream of images, pictures of success and fame and comfortable lives that we see on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or whatever the next platform is. So worldly wisdom drove my colleague's selfish ambition, but the problem is it didn't stop there. It's like yeast mixed in with dough. When the heat turns up, it starts to inflate and grow, and it was growing in our own hearts, in the rest of the team. The next project we had to work on, we quickly lost trust. Relationships broke down. Resentment was building. What was going on? We were all starting to harbor bitter envy. And it was playing out in the growing disorder in the rest of the team. And for the three years I was there, we never, ever really recovered from that. And let me warn you, this sort of thing can happen anywhere, not just at work. It happens in homes when a husband or wife drives their selfish ambition over their spouse or against their kids. As they listen to this worldly mantra of success and comfort, you hear this, your selfish ambition is to serve them, surely. It's fine. They should be supporting you in whatever you're wanting to do. The family slowly breaks down. Disorder comes in. Broken marriages and families are the result. Among friends, with envy starting to grow from one another's relationships, lifestyles, and careers, you listen to that echo of, you deserve it too. You can get whatever you want. It can quickly turn bitter, gossiping, slandering, backstabbing. Even in churches, where leaders and congregations can have ambitions to become a, a big church, a growing church, a, the best church around, it's so easy for such ambition to quickly turn from gospel intentions into selfish ones. Even within churches, earthly wisdom feeds bitter envy for one another's, of other, one another's ministries, of somebody who's more musically gifted, or great with people, or really funny and popular. It happens with me, even at Oak Hill, when someone seems smarter or a better preacher than I am. Bitter envy and selfish ambition harbors in our hearts. Brothers, sisters, 
it's worth taking a moment just to reflect on our hearts. Do we harbor this sort of bitter envy and selfish ambition in any shape or form? We need to listen to James's warning. Do not seek this sort of earthly wisdom. It is self-serving. It sets you over and against others. It is destructive. It leads to disorder and to evil practice. Instead, James says this. This is the second. Seek wisdom from above. Verse 17, he starts, but hang on. Listen, if you don't like the look of that sort of wisdom and that sort of life, then come here to this sort of wisdom. Because this wisdom comes from heaven. It is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Notice how all of these are not self-serving. Wisdom from above, it nurtures a life that loves to think of others. Instead of harboring bitter envy against and over others, it harbors peace, peace for others. You could summarize it as a life of humility. That's what James meant in verse 13. So earthly wisdom, it is self-serving. It sets you against and over others. You have wisdom from above, which is other-serving. It leads to humility and love for others. Now on humility, Tim, Tim Keller puts it much better than I could. He's much wiser than I am. Humility is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. See, thinking less of yourself is actually false humility. To think less of yourself, if you think about it, means that you're, you're already thinking you're in a, a position over someone else, and so you have to push yourself down to their level or below them. It's a position of pride. That's false humility. Instead, true humility is thinking more of other people, thinking of yourself less, and is making others bigger in your life. To give more of yourself, your time, your energy, and resources for those around you, That is what godly wisdom nurtures. That is the sort of wisdom we as Christians are called to desire and have. And look where that sort of wisdom takes us. Not in disorder and evil practice, but in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace. Seems a bit odd. Why is James suddenly talking about peace here? But I think he's got Jesus' words, his brother's words in mind. Matthew 5, 9 where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. James is simply saying this, I think. True wisdom found in true sons and daughters of God leads to a life of peace. It's a life that displays the righteousness of God, a life that displays the morals and ethics of God. It's the good life that James talks about in verse 13. So that's the second implication. Seek wisdom from above. Because wisdom from above is other-serving. It leads to humility and love for others. And the fruit of it is a beautiful life of peace. And would you agree with me that's something that we'd all love to see more of in the world, particularly in 2020? I can see you asking a question. Okay, sounds great, but how, how are we supposed to get this wisdom from above? Where do we find it? Do we just have to read our Bibles better and and go through wisdom literature like the Psalms and Proverbs and so on? Let me tell you, it goes much deeper than that. See, when the world talks of wisdom, it's all about gaining knowledge and experience. But the problem isn't about what goes in. It's about what comes out. Our hearts merely reflect 
the self-centeredness of earthly wisdom. They feed off one another, and that's the major problem. What it does is it uses knowledge and experience to ultimately self-serve, leading to envy and selfish ambition. Wisdom from above, it goes much, much deeper. This sort of wisdom, it comes from God himself, and it starts within us. It changes our hearts, which begin to shape our knowledge and experience. Such wisdom teaches us how to use our knowledge and experience in godly, humble, and Christ-like ways. It's a heart change. Now, this all hinges on a small word, which I think is really important here. I don't know if you noticed it in verse 17. It's a small word that summarizes the, the outworkings that we saw listed. Let me read it again. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. That is the key. Wisdom from above, it harbors purity. Come back to my old workplace with my colleague. Because I can say back then that uh, I would have called myself a Christian. But I say with shame then and now that my heart didn't reflect that. When my colleague did what he did, my heart was growing with bitter envy and selfish ambition. And what it showed me was that my heart is far from pure. Our hearts are quick to turn to earthly wisdom. That's why we need this wisdom that comes from above. And by God's grace, we have access to this wisdom in the form of a man. A man who is a gift from heaven, who embodies true wisdom. A man who would come to be just like one of us, but who is so different because he fulfills everything, every single detail of verse 17. Follow along with me in, those, in that little list of verse 17, because this man is a man who is himself pure in every way imaginable. He's a man who loves peace, so much so to bring peace between his father's wrath and sinful humanity. He's a man who is so considerate, caring for those who are like sheep who've gone astray. He's a man who is submissive, who as the Son of God bowed down to the loving will of his father who wanted to rescue his people. He's a man who is full of mercy for the broken, the weak, the marginalized, the lost. He's a man who is full of good fruit, who heals people, who forgives, who raises many to be his followers. He's a man who is impartial. He, he welcomes tax collectors, prostitutes, Pharisees, fishermen, whoever wanted to know him, no matter how far they felt away from him. He is a man who is sincere, a man of integrity in all things. Even when standing an unfair trial before his death, Crowds around him, their tongues and their words baying for his blood, bickering and quarreling all around him. The Pharisees, Pharisees stood around him, stewing in their selfish ambition, brewing in their bitter envy. And there he stood, silent, in perfect wisdom, ready to serve sinners like you and me. He is a man of wisdom who lived a life of perfect humility, to humble himself even to death on a cross. That is where we see God's wisdom most clearly. The cross is the wisdom of God, which seems like foolishness to the world. But it's through the cross that God reaches down to give us new hearts. It's there that this man took our place and nailed our impure, self-centered hearts to the cross and gave us his own. It's because of this man that we can have pure hearts that know this wisdom, that can receive this wisdom that comes from heaven. 
This man is Jesus. Now, if you're not following him yet, I urge you to start trusting him and know that through the cross, he gives you a new heart. He replaces the heart we have now, which is just an incubator, waiting to feed off earthly wisdom and harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. Come to him and see how he gives us a new heart by his spirit. A heart of humility that says, God, yes, you are the source of wisdom. You're the one who is right, not me or the stuff around me. And as we are humble before God, we will grow in wisdom to humble ourselves for the sake of others. If you are following the Lord Jesus today, then let me urge us all to deepen our relationship with him, to keep looking to God's wisdom on the cross, to remember that we have new hearts, hearts that can nurture this wisdom from heaven. Let me urge us to seek wisdom that comes from him, that leads to a life of humility and other-centeredness. Let me urge us all to ask him by his spirit to pray to him to help us to live out this life of godly wisdom because we know it's not easy. We know we're so quickly tempted to turn to earthly wisdom. But by his spirit, by his grace, we can rise to James's challenge to show it by our good lives, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. As we draw to a close, what, what could this look like for you right now as the Globe Church, as you sit in your homes during lockdown 2.0? Here are a few thoughts. Now, the potential danger of earthly wisdom in a situation like this is it starts to say it's all about you. Protect yourself and serve yourself. It could push some of us to want to just hibernate, to withdraw and tuck into Netflix and social media and takeaways. On the other side, it can push us to go the other way and break the rules, particularly when we see others around us doing it, like I did in the park yesterday. Perhaps instead we could think this way. Wisdom from above says, look, how can I humbly serve those around me? Part of that could be by respecting the rules. No matter how frustrating they are, no matter what others are doing, it's the way to show that you love those around you, those who are vulnerable. You're protecting and looking out for them. But here's something else you could do. Wisdom from above might say, look, how can you use this small grace that you have where we are allowed to meet someone else outdoors one-to-one? Is there time that you can give in your week to a member of the church family to, to help each other during this time? Perhaps you could think about arranging a weekly walk, a walk and pray and a catch-up with somebody from, from church. And mix it up. It's, it's, quite easier, it's much easier to do that with people you know well, but why don't you reach out to someone you don't know that well? Get to know them. Look to serve them during this time. There will be friends and family and colleagues too who don't know the Lord Jesus, who don't have the same hope that we do. I found lots of my friends who aren't Christians struggling to really understand how to deal with this situation. Wisdom from above might tell us to reach out to them, to arrange time to spend with them. And you might be amazed at the conversations you may have as you serve them as well. And wisdom from above would also tell us just to be aware that those around us will deal with this situation in very, very different ways. Some will find this much easier than others. Some will want to withdraw and need space. Some will want to talk and meet up. But wisdom from above says, look, be like Christ. Be considerate and sincere. Find out what would help them most in this situation. 
and seek their needs more than ours. And just picture a church community that is wisely going about serving one another in this way. There's no disorder, there's no quarreling, no bitterness, but just it's a beautiful picture of peace and harmony. What would that look like to those within the church? Do you see how that would beautifully display God's wisdom at the heart of our lives? That sort of thing just rubs off on people within the church. And for people outside the church, I think they'd love to see that sort of wisdom that produces such humble and other-centered people. It could be a wonderful way to witness to those around us. Sisters, brothers, may we seek more wisdom from above so that we can be humble, that we can be other-centered, and that we can reap a harvest of peace for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me give you a moment just to reflect on that before I close in a prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one who embodies true wisdom. Help us to know him, help us to seek him. Help us to know that he has given us new hearts through his death and his resurrection. And may we go on to live with those new hearts, seeking your wisdom that comes from above so that we as a church, as a gathered people, can be other-centered, can show the humility of Christ. For his glory we pray. Amen.